Hola, amor. Hola, cariño. Hola. Y bienvenidos a Uy, qué horror, a Latinx horror movie podcast with Johnny and Eileen. I'm Johnny. And I'm Eileen. Hello. Hello. And we have a very, let's, let's jump in. You've already heard, <laughs> she said, do not leave me in the dust. I need to be known immediately. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have a guest today. And uh, listen, ustedes ya saben, Johnny and I are stupid idiots. We are dummies from hell. Absolutely zero clue about anything ever. We I decided, don't like this intro. <laughs> wait, wait, just you wait. And then we decided one day we'll provide information. And so this this is at your own risk, listener. But don't worry, not today's episode. Mm -hmm. Today's episode, we have a scholar. Oh. We have a legit teacher, somebody that knows her fucking shit. And we are blessed because it's not often we have knowledge on Wiki Horror. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the main stage. May Santiago. Bienvenida, May. Hola, cariños. How are y'all doing? Hola. Oh, thrilled that you are here. I'm so excited. Like, just, I'm like shaking excited. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so thrilled to Me be too. in the company of very smart people Aww. and do not take this knowledge slander listen i will add on to that i uh, we do call ourselves dundos here i'm gonna say episodically every episode we're like we're fucking dundos pero I believe so. the more movies we watch the more we're like i think we're grasping the themes and the context of things you know ideas and que no you know there's times where we're just like well we did our best but it's days like this when we have somebody that actually we can ask questions to and have a good you know a back and forth between johnny and i is just well, I hope this is right. And yeah. then with somebody who knows a little bit more, we feel a little bit more confident, too. So that's helpful. Absolutely. I'm so honored and thrilled. <laughs> well, I found some stuff on the internets about you, May, that I would love to have our listeners. I have a fear of Googling myself, so <laughs> I legit don't know what comes up when people Google me. So we'll see what happens. Well, from your own website, it says here, my name is May Santiago and I am a writer, a researcher, a teacher and a filmic essayist, which I think is a lovely way and very uh, precise way of describing the many talents that you have. But you know what? I thought, let's hear from George Mason University and what that website has to say. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and it says here at George Mason University dot uh, com GMU dot edu that May is a graduate teaching assistant SOC co-chair of cinema studies, genre cinema theory, decolonization, Puerto Rican identity studies, Queer and feminist media studies. Is that all sound like above board for you? Yeah, though, what annoys me most about that is they have me listed as a graduate teaching assistant because of how I get my funding. So it's very bureaucratic, but I'm a professor. Okay, I do not bitch. assist. Yeah, I've been shit. teaching since before. Um, yeah. So that's okay. not your fault. That's I fight with the university all the time over it. I'm like, respect my name. Please. We need to update this bio. Put professor some respect on her name. OK, everybody. <laughs> But 
says here, May is a second year PhD student. Is that still correct? Third year now. Third year now. Okay, so May is a third year PhD student and a film scholar. Her work focuses on using cinema as a cultural studies tool for colonized film economies in the Caribbean with a focus on Puerto Rico. She possesses a BFA producing Little Girls from 2013 as an undergraduate thesis film as part of a study of teen films and the effect that they have on female teen societies. She also possesses an MFA where she created Night Gaze 2017, a visual album based on music video theory to depict the young woman's visceral experience with depression. Her work has been screened across the country, including the Brooklyn Women's Film Festival, Tampa Bay Comic Con, Florida's Undergraduate Research Conference, Orlando Film Festival, Final Girls Film Festival, and more. May, look, I hate to be cheesy, but I'm moved to have you on this episode. Like, it is honest, it is an honor to have you here. And spoiler alert, this is basically our first Puerto Rico venture on Wiki Horror. And I can't think of a better person to have here than you to talk about this this short film with. And I'm just I'm so, so happy that you're on this podcast with us right now. I never get affirmed. So this is crazy to me right now. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. Wait, there's still more. I'm not finished yet with my introduction. How dare you? What else did you find? I am here to fill the room with flowers upon the carpet you walk on. She is the host of horror podcast, Horror which is uh, through a podcast focused on the analysis of international horror from the U.S. perspective. A film academic and a curious horror fan dissect the most evocative and innovative international horror movements from the last century using fundamental theories and analyses. I mean, come on, just fucking smart all around. Not only that, she also hosts... Uh, Second Nature, which is produced by George Mason's University Cultural Studies PhD program, where they talk about culture identity, artifice, habit, ideology, and all kinds of smarty pants stuff, right? You like research because I don't even promote Second Nature. Girl, I'm getting, I'm, but letting people know she is the author of the zine Caution, which is a fanzine created by Killers fans for Killers fans, like the band The Killers, everybody. Get with it. She also uh, co-edited an anthology on global impact on Amazon society, culture, economics and politics, which is called Amazon at the intersection of cultural and capital. And she wrote the chapter of the anthology titled Virtuous Viewing and Amazon Studios. And uh, the final thing that she's working on and hopefully we can see soon is the queer horror zine Queer Frights, which is a definitive guide of lesbians in horror, which is lovely. So is that, I think, a solid intro of our guest today, Jonathan? And the most important thing I'm doing is recording this podcast episode. And we're thrilled to have you. (laughs) Wow, that's crazy. Yes. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. I mean, uh, listen, you've done enough things where people need to fucking know that you got the chops, you got the stuff to back up all the stuff you're going to talk about with us today. Yes. 
And it's because of you. You were the one that suggested the film that we're going to chat about, which is very exciting because we demanded something from Puerto Rico. We, Johnny and I, guested on your on Horror Spiria not too long ago. Well, a couple months ago. Either four months or three years ago. I can't. <laughs> Listen, <Yeah>. same. <laughs> Who knows? And we were literally genuinely shocked to find out how little Puerto Rico is represented in like film and uh, yeah. and how hard it is to release stuff from there in the U.S. and like all kinds of stuff. So we're thrilled to be able to get some eyeballs on up and coming Puerto Rican directors and this pretty fucking dope short wow. that we watched. Yeah, yeah. I I won't even lie to you. I was surprised. So. I guess to give some context as to how I chose the film that we chose right now, I'm in the middle of a research residency where I'm writing a chapter and making a film essay about Puerto Rican horror. So hmm. when you guys reached out to me to record this, I was actually right in the middle of doing research on that. So it was amazing timing hmm. and it's been so hard. <laughs> Like, I can't mm. underestimate how hard, like, the only real archive that exists is there was a film festival in Puerto Rico called Puerto Rico Horror Film Festival that is now called Luzca Fantastic Film Festival. And I don't, I, I want to be clear that this is just my assumption. This is not an actual fact. My assumption as to why they changed it in 2016 is that they weren't getting enough horror entries. And oh. so I they have an archive on their website that actually doesn't even have like the director names. It just has wow. the names of the films. So you know, yeah. imagine trying to like Google short film names over and over. It took me like 5 days straight to go through their entire archive and realize wow. that 75% of it I either couldn't find links were broken and there is no unlike in other latin american countries there is no archive of puerto rican films like it's just left to the wind i mean i i know i've said this before in, in conversations that we've had but we should all realize that puerto rico is an active colony and so a lot of the cultural works are just left to the wind and in all of these, like it had to be at least 200, 300 films I looked up. There was one film directed by a woman, and uh, that is Juliana Maite. And I found the film, I found her, and it was like magical synergy. And I absolutely love this film. So oh. I'm I'm really glad it worked out, but it took yeah. so much searching. And she is legitimately one of two female directors I found. And the other person that I found no longer works in film. So oh, wow. that's such a fucking bummer to hear, dude. Wow. OK, well, we're pumped. We're going to get to all kinds of information on Juliana Maite at the end when we talk about trivia, which we're going to just fucking go ham on with May. Mm -hmm. She's coming in hot five pages filled. <laughs> By the way, uh, Juliana wants to wants me to send you her gratitude for us doing this. She is like mind blown that we're doing this. She's so honored. So on 
my behalf and her behalf, big thank you to you guys for giving this film a platform. Oh Absolutely. I we really encourage our listeners to get some eyeballs on this. And not only like we'll give you all the information at the uh when we once we're done chatting about the movie, but she's got a bunch of stuff on her Vimeo page and like uh, her we'll give you her website, everything. Look out for Juliana Maite. She has got an eyeball that is very good. So yeah, let's chat about this freaking movie. Yes, let's let's get into this movie. So May, the movie, the short film you suggested for us this week is called Agón. It's from Puerto Rico, pero it was filmed in Cuba. It came out in 2012. And just like Eileen said, this is on Vimeo. It's like 15 minutes long. Please go watch this before we dive into this. You know, it'll take you 15 minutes. Come back here and then listen to our episode, everybody. So it was written by Juliana Maite and Fabian Suarez and directed by Juliana Maite. First of all, everybody, please remember to subscribe, rate and review. Thank you so much. You're all fabulous. (laughs) Here is my titulo de terror for today. I picked The Blob. Oh! 1958, 1988. Good choice. I was going to do Cabin Fever, but then I was like, no, 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 blob no is the better. blob, the blob. blob is so in Spanish, the blob is called La Mancha Boras, which I fucking love. Yeah, basically like the voracious stain is what that means. Cool. Y en Portugués, in Brazil, the TV title was Abolia. <laughs> There's several meanings for bolha. Bolha can mean either boil or a bubble. So that was the TV title. And then I guess the movie title was Abolha Assassina. <laughs> okay. Nice. Spoiler. <laughs> the killer bubble. <laughs> As we get into this short film by Juliana, I hopefully everybody will be like, I get it. Eileen will not be no. giving us our synopsis today. May will be giving us our synopsis. Would you mind, May, please? (laughs) Of course. So the synopsis for Agon is a woman's water polo team trains intensely for a final competition. Ava, the team captain, has no idea that she is facing a supernatural force hungry for blood and violence. Mm. Yes. All right, everybody. Are we ready to... Let's quite literally dive in. Dive into (laughs) this pool. Our short film begins, and I just need to mention that this was screened at various film festivals around the world and even won some prizes. However, more on that later. Correct me if I'm wrong, but bam, death metal. Is this death metal? We're hearing death Absolutely metal. Absolutely <laughs> death sure. metal. Fucking like, hardcore. Oh, fucking, oh, I don't understand what I'm singing, but I'm going to fucking sing it. So death metal and bam, we're in a pool. Not just any pool. This is like an Olympic-sized pool. A women's water polo team is practicing for a very important upcoming match, and it is intense in this pool people are splashing i could never do this water polo is incredibly violent wow it's wild imagine you're like i have to push and shove and drown people you're (laughs) drowning people like doing all this shit like look at football and all these fucking sports on the regular ground and all it is is just shoving and pushing in water polo you're 
drowning your, motherfuckers. For me, I was just like, your feet aren't even touching the ground. Like, you're... No. Están nadando. Like, they are... Están flotando. Dude. Like, that is... Dude! They're fighting for it, yeah. <laughs> could, yeah. could never. It's madness. So, this practice match is going on. And just to note, there is a coach there. His name is Omar. Very handsome, long hair. And there is what they call the technical director of the team. I guess this is a... Sports thing. I don't know sports, everybody. Pero the technical director's Girl. name is Damian. And the rest of the people on the sidelines yelling at these women, they're all men. So along the sidelines, men in the pool, all women. One of the women playing, her name is Eva. She's the captain of the team. And all of a sudden, she gets a nosebleed, which I was like, hmm, I didn't, I never saw her get hit. Interesting. Never never a smash, just all of a sudden a nosebleed. And her coach, yeah. Omar, is like, Eva, Eva, ¿qué estás haciendo? Like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, dude, chill. Like, she's got a nosebleed. It was very, very right. intense, this dude, this coach. And it doesn't help that, like, so far, this all, this whole time, there's been this, like, deep, dark growling voice of death metal in the background yes. like you're just like it's it's it splashing stopped. it's like people are moving and swimming and then this guy's yelling and it's just like a lot of anger and tension flying all over the place all at once and yes. i don't know if we've mentioned this already but i do want to underscore these are teenage girls they're not yes. women they're right. teenage young girls. ladies yeah. so yeah this seems to be like a yeah teenaged girl water polo team you know yeah so the technical director damian tells the girls get out of the pool practice is over but the coach omar is like hell no al agua and he like literally is fully pushing some of these girls back into the pool and he's like they only have a few days left until the big competition however the damian insists so the women get out of the pool and as Eva gets out of the pool, we follow a trickle of her blood into the pool, and it spells out our title, Agong, which was so cool. So dope, yeah. What very cool. A great I think the blood work reveal. in this film is very good for a yes. low-budget film, yeah. Oh my Agreed. god. Nailed. Absolutely. All right, there's an abrupt cutoff of the death of the death metal. Bam, it's over. And we're now in the locker room where Eva is showering after practice. And she notices something in her ear, which she begins to pick at. And from, ah! <laughs> from so her gross. ear, she pulls out a clump and she like looks at it and it looks oh, like hair. Like fully starts dissecting yeah. it and like pulling it apart. It looks Skin. like a piece of ear. Like it makes me think of like, you know, when all of a sudden people will discover a part of like, they'll be like, what is this tumor? And it's like a, a oh, no. baby <laughs> that was like growing inside of them. Oh, but it's God. just like this teeny thing that <laughs> this came example out of escalated. <laughs> In my lump, I found... Teeth and a spinal column. I found malignant. <laughs> this is malignant. <laughs> oh, no, malignant. Pero this time from her ear and just like a teeny thing. So <laughs> she tosses it on the shower tile at her feet. And we see that this thing is like oozing this weird, dark substance. You know what it made me think of? It's very precise. But 
Remember in Poltergeist <laughs> like, when all the meat starts coming out of the bread? Like, remember that part? Or not the bread, it was out of the steak. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, just weird chunks of meat start exploding out of it. It's like she grabbed one of those chunks and pulled it out of her fucking ear. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's so nasty. It is. It is. And I got to say, like, great body horror stuff here. Oh, yeah. For sure. Especially out of the fucking ears. <laughs> Not in my ear. Good God. And interesting to note here, something that I noticed over an intercom in the locker room, we hear that a few of the players need to go to the infirmary, which I was like, hmm, interesting. And also, this is a constant device throughout the film. We gain a lot of information from... From the loudspeaker. Yeah, like intercom, loudspeaker announcements. Which is such smart filmmaking. Oh my it's God, absolutely. so smart. It's subtle. Shows how even with or without a budget, you're operating at a high level as a filmmaker. It speaks to her talent. Absolutely. So now at her locker getting dressed, we see a little newspaper clipping that Eva has taped to the inside of her locker door. And it says, Eva Emilia Yero, la formula del éxito es entrenar, which means... The formula to success is to train. Training. So I was like, okay, so Eva, she's the captain. She works hard and she's clearly proud of it because she's got this thing up in her little locker right here. Just then, a teammate comes into the locker room and Eva notices something weird on this girl's back. And it looked like to me like a shiny patch of rotted skin. What did it it look like to to y'all? An open wound. Like skin graft, yeah. Totally, totally. And at this point, Eva seems to hear like a weird, squishy sounding noise. And I was like emanating from that weird skin condition. I couldn't quite pinpoint where this sound was coming from. So she begins to take a look around the locker room and she sees another teammate who's wrapping a bandage around a wound on her arm, which I was like, same gross skin condition, probably. Yeah, what's going on here? And then Sentada, like there's a another teammate sitting on the floor near the woman, ba- near the girl bandaging her arm. In front of this, this girl sitting there are like a shit ton of pill bottles, which this was my take on this. I was like, in order to keep up your health, to do what is necessary for this team. Like, this is what's required. Full body, like, you have to put just all in. And, like, you got to take all this yeah. shit. Absolutely. I mean, I want to save a lot of what Juliana said for the end, but to her, it's full body destruction. She wanted to Ugh. really get that through with this film. and yeah. And as Johnny said, very slowly we realize... All of these women share, or all of these girls, really, all of these girls share some form of body horror deformity. Um, mm, yeah. So, and, and another thing is, everyone is seeing it, but no one's talking about it. It's just like we notice it. Yeah, everybody is like minding their own business. Yeah. They're not ashamed or hiding as they're patching up these weird things in their bodies. It's like it is what it is. And the only one who is really like looking around being like, ¿Qué está pasando? Is Eva. Mm -hmm. And again, 
throughout this whole sequence just that that weird squishing slurpy liquidy noise gloopy yeah not only is it gloopy slurpy it sounds like it's moving like the reason why it's slurpy gloopy floppy it's like almost writhing sounds if you will it sounds alive yes so eva gets dressed and as she is leaving the locker room she notices a shower is still on like fully on so she goes she shuts it off and then she notices a dark liquid seeping out from underneath a garbage can and a bunch of discarded cardboard boxes. So she moves the garbage and the boxes and she finds a metal lid to an opening in the floor. So she lifts the lid and through a grate, Eva peeks into like this dark abyss. But then someone calls her name, so off she goes. However, we stay here in this hole, and we slowly... Yeah, we dive deeper. Yeah, we pan down into this dark hole, which to me, I was like, it seems to be like a sotano, a boiler room, very Freddy down here. <laughs> yeah, like a like a the, the water the water filtration system of this sure. pool or whatever yeah. whatever goes goes on underneath a, an Olympic sized pool club. What nightmare of Elm Street was it when they're in, exactly in this? You know which one I'm talking about? Where oh my god, part five, part five, part right? Five. Yeah, no, in it was pool? like an obscure one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a there literally is like a swimmer and like an Olympic pool. <laughs> wow, I. T- Totally forgot about that. And <laughs> and Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite slasher series. When you said Freddy, it brought back. No, because you're right. It, it very much that. Yes. You can't have a boiler room vibe and not be like, where the fuck them knife fingers at? <laughs> where is Freddy? Where is my bae? <laughs> Forever um. and ever. Oh, man. So throughout my notes, I just called this kind of dark space, either like the sotano or the boiler room yeah. of this space. So In this sotano, the walls are dripping with that Mm -hmm. dark substance. And we hear that alive, squishy, slurpy sound. And finally, we see a creature. And it's black and almost the blob-like, if you will. It's very slimy on the floor. You know what it made me think of? Have either of you seen Creep Show 2? No, actually. Okay. Creepshow 2, there is a segment called The Raft, where there is like an oil slick creature. Holy shit. This thing looks so much like that creep. Like it looks like a an attack oil slick. You guys don't of. watch Better Call Saul. Do I you? don't. No. Okay, yeah, that that's what it also reminds. Which essentially same thing. You get in an oil tank, very oily. It made me think of um. It, mine was a lot more simpler than both these examples. It made me think of um, los pelos en el drain, like pulling hair out of the drain. <laughs> Dude, yes. Oh, no, because why? as a woman, yeah. it's no, true. it's true. But I'm about to. I have so much hair. You're exactly. It's PTSD. all I know is having long, horrible hairs being not only pulled out, but like it almost like from the depths where they you just keep it just keeps coming, and then eventually you're like, this stinks now. That's how deep it's been pulled from that it stinks Stop. that's what i that's what i pictured that fucking goopy gloppy whatever the fuck that thing is that gloop monster that shit stinks 
You know it mm-hmm. stinks. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like picking out my hair. Like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. All right. So we're back to water polo practice and it's one day till the big competition. And in the pool, Coach Omar is working these women hard. He straight up says to them, si no son ganadoras, no son nadie. Which means if you're not winners, you're not anybody. Woo! Okay. During one of these drills, one of Eva's teammates throws the ball over Eva's head, which sets Eva off. Cojones, chica, puta! Dude, cojones por todos lados en this película. The the translations <laughs> did kill me though, and I know Juliana must have done them with her team, but yeah, yeah it would yeah, be yeah. like this, and then it'd be like, "You yeah. bitch," <laughs> and yeah. I feel like there was more than that, but yes, it was puta, and then the subtitle was slut, and I was like, "It's not the same." <laughs> the gringos don't get it. It's puta. They don't understand the context going on. Yeah, there's nothing more pleasurable to me than saying puta in fucking Spanish, man. It's like the best fucking word. And no shade to you guys, but those words in Caribbean accents, woof. Yeah. Mm. I was like, so "Mm, extra roughness has like the the mojos. (laughs) So Eva comes up to this, this teammate of hers and she punches this girl in the face and we're in a pool brawl and then everybody's everybody's fighting eva is freaking out and finally the coaches they jump into the pool and omar goes up to eva and he's like really struggling to calm her down because she's going through it but this moment where like (laughs) he grabs her face it was so direct (laughs) May is doing <laughs> a tap close. dance right now. She- <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, oh yes. My gosh. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. This was the yes. scene that turned it for me. I was like, oh, this is what we're talking about. And the reason why I'm freaking out is like, it's literally like three to five seconds. Mm-hmm. So small. But in those yes. three to five seconds, you feel all like. I, I swear, like everything mm-hmm. clicked. And then as the film unraveled, I was like, wow, what a powerhouse. Because, yeah, as, as Johnny mm. said, he like grabs her face in a way that you just know is not okay. It made me so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable watching that. Yeah, it's very close and very intimate and i okay i watched this short film i'm gonna say like five Mm -hmm. times maybe and at first i was like no entiendo and then the last well close to like you know the 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 last few times that i watched this movie i was like this moment i kept coming back to this and being like what's going on here and then like there was a moment where i was just like oh oh my god like it I mean, I could be wrong. I think we'll talk about like specific themes as you know, once we get through this full thing. But like this moment hit me like a ton of bricks and was just like soul crushing this particular closeness. To me, it's the scariest part of the whole film. And there's like some Uh, we're going to get to some violence soon. But to me, this is the horror of the film. Totally. So. 
We cut to all the women and they're in like a smaller pool off to the side of that, the big fucking Olympic sized pool. And they're being regañadas by Damian, the technical director. And he's like, look, you can fight with the other teams, but not amongst yourselves. Veinte mariposas y ya. <laughs> this is the point where things start to get really weird, right? Yeah. So Coach Omar is like watching, you know, Damian yell at his yell at these girls and omar like seems to want to have a word with damian so he's like babo knows they go off leaving eva and the women alone and as soon as the men leave you notice oh shit these girls are all of them except for eva they're all like holding their bellies we see like a gross rotten skin patch on one of the girl's legs one of them touches her crotch, and when she pulls her hand away, it fully has blood on it. One of them is barfing a little bit. It is so gross well, we pull and upsetting. Out of after we see like a couple individual shots of these girls like going through it and feeling ill, and to me at least, it almost felt like they all had a period at exactly the same time. Yes. And I legit, Mm. I love films that use the natural bodily fluids of women to signify the abject. Like to me, it's just so like, it's like powerful and it's disgust. We see them all sitting in this small pool. Right. And you do see blood coming from every single one of them. Like, seeping into like the pool itself itself starts changing into like a bloody pool which is why i think this feels like a communal period moment i think the only one that got up and walked away was ewa because the rest of them were sitting there like genuinely cramping and like for me the same way that you were saying may that like using uh, natural women's fluids as a way to make people have this visceral reaction. I feel the same way. It's There's something incredibly witchy and like cool mm. and honestly very uniting when it comes to women's portrayal of menstruation, especially in a group setting of that kind of way. There's like, coven vibes you think like especially if they're all having it at the same time and the fact that we have this one single one walk away and not experience this communal moment of pain that i feel it feels very dangerous like what is why are you the odd Mm. man out why aren't you in this moment with your quote-unquote sisters you know what i mean so to bring some feminist theory into yes. exactly what you're talking about, you know, I think you and I and and I do see this trend overall of like a reclamation of the abject being associated with a biological women's fluids because throughout literature and history, you know, that is how men used to persecute, murder, attack women because of, you know, oh, they got their period during this time, they're a witch. And um, and so now, especially in more modern filmmaking, I think it's been especially used by feminist filmmakers, 
like, okay, you want to be scared of my blood? I'll let you be scared of my blood. And I definitely think that's one interpretation like Eileen just detailed that's really beautiful. It's a little bit funny that your mind went there because my mind went, I think, a little bit darker. I didn't think periods. Uh I thought, especially given the sexual connotation of where the blood is coming from, so soon after that face moment, I was like, oh, they were all assaulted by him. <gasps> okay, yeah. And Ava is the one, is the one remaining. It's his last straw. Oh, God. Uh, but you could see it either Jesus. way. That's the beauty of horror, oh God, right? The, the interpolations we can have. That's amazing. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Like, you know, uh, uh, women's cycles, uh, like, I mean... <laughs> I don't know, but from what I have understood, they do tend to sync up and these women are always in close contact. They're, you know, they're, they're working together, they're training together. They're a lot, a lot in the same space. Not, I'm not going to lie to you. Not for a moment did that cross my brain until Eileen just mentioned it to me. I mean, call me a fucking dude from 1772. Like I was like, they're infected (laughs) by something. But if you think of it, like, they are. No, they are. They are. Absolutely. All of them, except for La Eva, La, 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 La La who, like, things, you know, the suggestion is being put in there, like, the little thing in her ear, like, these, like, it's already in there. She can hear it, but she's not fully experiencing it yet because she has not been infected right. yet. Yeah. Dude, I mean... I mean, but I again, I think layers. both things can exist. One more layer that I think would be interesting is if we're going sports and especially women in sports, which is, again, bitch, I don't fucking know. But there is so much pressure for women in their Dude. when they are in a sport. All I can think of is these amazing gymnasts that fucking do insane shit with their bodies that don't get their periods Mm. for like however long because they're that's real you know yes like there's so much pressure in people especially uh, people with uteruses and vaginas where you're just like here's the pressure we're working on you so much god knows what kind of like recreational drugs that are put into their bodies so that they can play at their best. You're working so hard the way you eat, the way you do all these things. Sometimes it's been known to be very damaging to women's bodies. So in this aspect of like, here we are a group of women in sport in a sport where it's incredibly physical and to have this moment all of them, the entire team all at once experiences this. I mean, I feel like there's something there that can be explored further. Uh, I My brain is not uh, is a little too smooth to get there in that point. But I do think like there are these connections of the woman's cycle, an abuser in a place of power especially in sport. God, look at that fucking piece of shit doctor with the fucking the with the gals from mm-hmm. the Olympic team. Like that yeah. guy can fuck off to fucking hell. Yeah. So like I don't know. Man, the pressures of women in sport, a let's that'll be something also I'm sure in there that can be explored. 
I agree with that 100%. Honestly, my first watch of this short film, I was like, okay, I'm at not, first of all, you need to watch this again a bunch to kind of get what's going on. But my first idea was this is about the pressures of competition. So Juliana gave us a really beautiful explanation of the fears in this film that I'm going to say for the end. But the first thing she said um, at the surface value is that, you know, this is about competition in sports. And so I think, yeah, that's like when you first watch this, that's the thing. That's the first layer that the peasant's eyes sees and they're like, this is about sports. And then my peasant eyes. Uh, yes, sports. <laughs> los ojitos de jibaros. Yes, exactly. We need a Puerto Rican in los jibaritos. Los jibaritos. Bien dundos. This is deportes. Anyways. Yo soy jibara de verdad, okay? I come from mountain people and... uh Shore uh, people, love. so we got the Hibara representation here. Love it. I believe in Nicaragua, we just say nosotros amo indio, just straight up. Oh, indio, indios. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Johnny, go for it. So back to. Oh right, we're watching a film. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so Eva is, you know, seeing all these girls suffering. And so she's like, what the fuck? And she leaves to follow the men. I assume she's going to tell them that something is wrong. So Eva follows the men deep into, again, what I assumed was the boiler room, sotano, like the, 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 the lower level of this pool the complex. Kruger, and Freddy she Kruger. overhears, <laughs> Freddie's down here, the Freddy Krueger <laughs> room of this pool complex. And she overhears these two guys arguing. So Damian is all like, dude, did you see Olivia's knee? What the fuck? I'm the technical director. I decide how they play. But El Omar is like, no, dude, there's more at stake than winning the gold. I turned these girls into winners. El Damian is like, yeah, well, I select selected them and they're girls, not animals. What is the price of winning to you anyway? And then Omar is fully like kicking, punching, hitting sangre and so damian says what you're doing up there isn't water polo it's war el omar straight up i am gonna do whatever the fuck i want el damian dice you're wrong so i'm taking the girls away from here fuck the gold and he begins to walk away pero as eva watches omar follows damian and we hear a scuffle and a scream uh-oh Eva then watches as Omar walks back and he's whispering to himself, tomorrow we fight, tomorrow is the last game, tomorrow it's over, tomorrow es el sacrificio de sangre, the blood sacrifice. So Eva is like, ¿Qué ¿Qué está pasando? She runs in fear, pero boom, el Omar jumps out and he catches her. To the ceiling, I jumped. Oh, yeah. very scary. Back in the pool room, we hear a rumble of thunder. It begins to rain very, very heavily. And we hear a scream off in the distance. Eva runs into the shot as if she's being chased by something. So she climbs up to the highest diving platform, which you would never catch my ass up here. <laughs> Listen, I, I the thing in horror where everybody screams, why are you running upstairs? Why are you running upstairs? This is the epitome of that 
stereotype and horror. She is not only running upstairs, she is running to the highest point in the stairs that there is. And then onto a diving fucking ledge. No, brother. Are you kidding me? There's nowhere to go. And when she's at the top, an unseen force rushes her and she is pushed off that high-ass platform. She goes splashing into the pool below. She swims to the surface, but then something swims up under her. And then it's fully the opening sequence of Jaws. Absolutely. Poor Eva is thrashed back and forth in the pool. She's screaming in terror. However, we never see what is thrashing her back and forth. I was so surprised by how um, that sequence was done. Because I was like, yes, Mm. budget, but it looks great. Totally. It was effective as hell. The shot is when she's climbing up to the diving board, it's a pretty far away shot. It's almost like we're seeing her from like, como decimos en español, el gallinero. Like when you have shitty seats in a fucking stadium or whatever. Estoy sentada en el gallinero. So it's almost like we're in the gallinero watching her climb, which is this weird a voyeur point of view that you're like who who are we what mm. is that i don't like that we get to we're so distanced from it and then we turn into the thing that's chasing her and yeah. we're the one that like pushes her off the fucking diving board that's some film analysis there is that you're, what this is yeah. you're tapping into yeah. it we're in the perspective of the yeah. mm. I'm telling you, I'll give you your degrees after this. Oh, my goodness. Everybody, uy, que horror. Get your diplomas here, everyone. (laughs) Well, interesting to add on to uh, Eileen's observation is that we are also the thing that rushes her from underneath once she's in the pool. No, yeah, we're at the level. Totally. Which is, like, amazing. It's very effective. Smart filmmaking. So, so good. And this terrifying sequence fades into, goes into Mm -hmm. a blackout. And then we fade back in and it's the day of the competition. We're back in the pool. An announcer is greeting the fans over a loudspeaker. And this is how we get most of our information throughout this final sequence. So we're in the pool. This is our shot right now. And we're watching the women from underneath. A whistle blows and the match begins. As the women play the camera, we go deeper into the pool, into a pool vent. We go through the vent, and now we're back in Freddy's boiler room. This is the same space where we saw that horrible oil slick creature, and Eva is down here. She's naked, and she seems to be tied to some pipes by this creature's tendrils or tentacles or something like that she's covered in blood and this like dark substance that we've been seeing throughout the movie the slime this like goop that is the same color of what the monster was when we first saw it so now it's all over her body and she's sitting almost like in stirrups like she is spread eagle And the way that the camera travels up these pipes, which in turn then become this horrible drain blood and hair monster, whatever the fuck it is. And we 
approach her from underneath. Like we follow her to see her in this position, like open arms, open legs, covered in mm. bloody slime, which is it was very visceral to see. It's incredible. Yeah. I you know, I was excited to see this because I told you I'd been doing so much research and I was like, oh, finally, I can watch something by a woman. So I um, I guess I, I already wanted to like it. But that image <laughs> was just so good. I was like, wow. And And again, knowing how budget this film was, I'm like, wow, that was some careful planning to get the shot. Yes. To get Z set up because mm. you can't reset that shit. Like she's she is covered, 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 covered. It's amazing. It made me think of um, La Región Salvaje. Have you seen La Región Salvaje? May? No, I did okay. see your promotion for it. Though. You absolutely must see a beautiful Watch film. It. But there is a shot where this woman is encompassed by this being and it's a very sexual moment and uh, which this isn't this is this feels well there's to me it's highly sexual okay i'm <laughs> glad you said that because la región salvaje felt pleasurable sexual this felt scary sexual to me it was like she was giving birth okay so when mm. i saw the image of her spread eagle with this monster technically attached to her vagina, which you can't really tell if it's parasitically taking her or if it's coming out of her. It's this image of, I don't know, it's so uh, engulfing her body that you can't tell if it's taking over or being expelled by her. It's this great image of... Wow. And because it's blood, you and it's coming from her crotch area, you're like, I don't know what that is. And she does have these vocal moments where you're like, is this a sexual sound? Is this danger? Eventually she does scream and you're like, okay, this feels more dangerous than fun and exciting and sexy times. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, she wakes up and she immediately is just screaming and screaming and screaming. And I mean, interesting to get both your takes on this, because the more I watched this, I was like, I mean, I thought, trigger warning, I apologize to our listeners, but I thought she was being yeah. raped by this yeah. monster, which wasn't my first thought. And my first thought was that, I mean, I guess you could, this, yeah, it would be the same thing. But like, Upon further listens or watches, it just got worse. I was like, I thought it went into her, like fully into her, the entire thing. But again, like you, like you've said, I think it's open to interpretation. You know, totally. Either way, this is an effective as fuck yeah. sequence right here. And I just gotta say that this young actress, she's so good, nails this scene. Now, before we leave this scene, we do get a quick close-up of her hand after this has happened to her, after this this monster has done whatever it's done to her, and her fingers mm -hmm. twitch. And interesting to note here that, like, I couldn't really hear the announcer, even with my my headphones on. Like, he's, like, he's still, like, 
calling the game on the loudspeaker. And it's continuous throughout this entire mm-hmm. sequence. But I was like, yo no oigo. Occasionally, I could hear what he was saying. But in this particular part, he, men- he mentions that this team, Eva's team, used to be very mediocre. But it's taken a turn this year. And now they are mm-hmm. kicking ass. They are playing super, super well now. Hmm. Interesante. Mm-hmm. So we're back in the locker room. And we get this shot of Eva's legs streaked with that goopy, dark liquid, sangre. She's walking up to her locker. She pulls out her bathing suit. She puts it on. And on the loudspeaker, we hear the announcer say, everyone is wondering where Captain Eva Emilia Yero is. Pero Coach Omar looks relaxed as fuck. <laughs> And as we watch Eva's legs walk toward the pool, the announcer continues, we have a tie as we go into halftime. Announcer also says earlier that the technical director isn't, doesn't seem to be here because of some health issues. Uh-huh. Sure. I'll tell you what that health issue is. <laughs> Death. That's the issue. <laughs> the most final of health issues. You won't find a cure, Death. baby. <laughs> God. Uh, and meanwhile, Coach Omar is just chilling. Oh, he feels He's great, fine. that fucking guy. Oh, my God. Now we get these really, really interesting shots. We see a shot of a leaky sink. We see a shot of a leaky faucet just dripping into a tub. A toilet begins to overflow that gross, hideous, dark substance. And as we watch all this flowing liquid in the locker room, we hear the announcer again over the loudspeaker. Captain Eva has now joined the match. And it seems things are getting violent. Someone has been expelled from the game. Someone has been seriously hurt. And now we start to hear distant screams. And that dark substance begins to overflow into the locker room, seeping out from under the stalls. And now, like, the faucets are on full blast, again with the announcer. He's saying, ladies and gentlemen, what we have here is a massacre. The the team from Havana is playing rough, tough, dirty, violent. And then the fucking lockers begin to shake, again with the announcer, The referees have stopped the match. We don't know what's going on, but it seems there's blood in the water. The teams are going back to their locker rooms. The audience is protesting the referee's decision. And then our team, all these girls come running into the locker room, screaming at the top of their lungs. They all link arms and they jump around in a circle, which to me, it looks to me like you're celebrating a win. Like this is victory. Glorious, you know? It's beautiful, honestly. Oh, it's overwhelming. You're like, yes, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Aggressive women, because they come in and they all have like random splashes of blood on their skin. And they walk into this flooded locker room that they're like kicking this disgusting water around. And it's animalistic and like tribal and like, We're here. We're screaming. There are no words. There's not like, yes, we won, whatever. No, it's just screams. And uh, when they get in a circle and they jump around together, it's this it's something you don't usually see with like like 
you usually associate that kind of aggressive celebration with men. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you see you see women mm, celebrate mm, mm. when they do sports stuff. Of course, obviously you win. It's great. Pero nunca se siente peligroso, really. Sí, no se siente peligro. There's something always positive and celebratory. You never, never feel danger. But when men celebrate that mm. way or cis hetero men, I guess I would say, uh, and it's specifically in a sports uh, air arena of some sort, there is a level of like, okay, when will we take this too far? Like you're always yeah, kind worried of about the waiting. cars that are going to get turned over. Yes, and set on fire. Uh, we're <laughs> looking at you, every single yeah. big team in every fucking city in the world. Did I'm looking at you, Kentucky. Yeah. That just happened like a few nights ago. That just happened in, in Kentucky. Yeah. No <laughs> well, I think society tells us that women can't behave like this, mm-hmm. or they shouldn't behave like this. So these women are like in rapture they're just like they are going through it and they fall to the floor they're screaming they're thrashing they're splashing the water that now has covered the entire floor like this locker room is flooded and now we see blood more blood the girls writhe they scream they bleed and then they pass out everywhere literally like coming from their mouths they all pass out except for Eva, who is just crouching there, watching them. She stands up, and again, just throughout this thing, that horrible, squishy, liquidy, alive mm-hmm. moving noise. Cut to the pool room, and the pool is filled with blood. It's an Olympic sized pool of blood. This is a great, great fucking shot. shot. So we're back in Freddie's boiler room. And we see our girls again. They're covered in blood and gook. They're walking down a hallway one by one with their backs to us toward darkness. And they continue walking, falling in line, until finally Eva comes into frame at the end of the line. She stops. She turns around. And we see that her eyes are all white, aside from her little black pupilas. Fin de la película. <laughs> that was some thriller realness there. That was some thriller realness. I will say that that shot of them one by one getting in line and walking, and I don't know if they choreographed this, but the way that they were walking they each like swayed back and forth just enough. And every time another girl went behind another one, it almost felt like they matched the swaying. And there was it was very mm. creepy because they were still in their bathing suits and they're like uh, competitive bathing suits. So their backs all matched like you all the same type of back of the bathing suit. All their hair was mm. down. It was this very eerie, we don't need no education, kind of like marching down a line. And then seeing Ava Mm. turn around and like she gives us a nod of like, well, we did it. And then keeps walking. This is what it is. This is what it is now. And you're just like, what's going on next? 
to me, uh, as Johnny and Eileen set up, um, what we literally see is them like walking away into a darkness. I interpreted this ending mm. as them walking back to Omar. Um, we don't sure. know for sure, Oof. but just the orderliness of it, the um, the mm. hypnotic sense of it, the fact that you know we don't really get an end game from Omar it makes me feel like the end game is Omar. Um, but that's my interpretation. I, I have Oof. clearly a very like sexual connotation to this film from my perspective. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Well. I mean, let's get into all these themes in our trivia. How about it, everybody? So excited. Let's talk about what the hell Agong means. So I typed it into... This definitely bothered me because I was like, why don't I know Spanish? (laughs) Well, good thing it ain't even fucking (laughs) Spanish. It ain't Spanish, Spanish. exactly. It ain't Spanish as hell. It's fucking (laughs) Greek as fuck. Exactly. Here we go. So uh, on Wikipedia, when you type in along, it says along is a Greek term for a conflict, struggle or contest. This could be a contest in athletics, in a chariot or horse racing or in music or literature or at a public festival in ancient Greece. Along is a word forming element in agony, explaining the concept of agony and tragedy by its fundamental characters, the protagonist and the antagonist. Cool. Yes, linguistics. And to confirm that, Mm. since it was bothering me, I asked Juliana directly. And uh-huh. her exact response is mm-hmm. Agon means competition in Greek. And actually, if you pull up Agon on her website, she has two titles for it. The first is Agon. The second is competition. Oh, uh, interesting. In theater, uh, it says here in ancient Greek drama, particularly old comedy, Agon refers to a contest or debate between two characters. The again, protagonist and the antagonist in the highly structural classical tragedies and dramas. The agon could also develop between an actor and the choir. So usually the Greeks would have like a group of people being like, hello, what is your deal, homie? Kind of vibe. Or between two actors with half of the chorus supporting each. Through the argument of opposing principles, the agong in these performances resembled the dialectic dialogues of Plato. The meaning of the term has escaped the circumscriptions of its classical origins to signify, more generally, the conflict on which a literary work turns. So there you go. So antagonist and protagonist, that all has to come with conflict, competition, from the word I love that you brought in the theater aspect mm. because Juliana is theater trained. Well, look at that. Amazing. Bless. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> Did you just say she's one of us? She's one I of us. I love that. <laughs> oh, my God. As a former theater kid, I need to use that. She's one of us. <laughs> one of I mean, it's it's definitely <laughs> oh my God, so yeah. threatening. I love it. Totally. 
So let's talk now about the Escuela Internacional de Cine y TV. I stand. Which is, we all stand because mm. they provided uh, basically this film for us. A huge part of what was produced was because of this school and the classes that Juliana took here because she went to the Escuela Internacional de, Fi de Cine y Televisión. But it says here, from their website... ¿Quiénes somos? The International Film and TV School is considered one of the most important audiovisual training institutions in the world. In the world. In the world, okay? It was created by El Comité de Cineastas de América Latina as a subsidiary of the Fundación del Nuevo Cine Latinoamericano and with the support of the government of the Republic of Cuba. It opened on December 15th, 1986. Originally conceived for students from Latin America, Africa, and Asia, the EICTV put into practice the teaching philosophy of learning by doing with professors who are active filmmakers and transmit their knowledge backed by exercise and experience. Currently, enrollment is open to those interested in audiovisuals from all over the world. Thousands of professionals and students from more than 50 countries have passed through his classrooms, which has made it a space for cultural diversity. No, yeah, they're awesome. And finally, from me at least, I was like, this fucking rock music that's playing, holy fucking shit. And so I'm a big fan of waiting to the very end of them credits to run because usually I discover some fun things. And what I discovered was that the group that sang all these songs uh, for the movie is called Agonizer. Ooh. So Agonizer is a fucking metal band from Cuba. Agonizer? Uh, oh my God, right? I didn't even yeah. think about that. Oh shit. <laughs> I thought you did. That's Agonizer, agonizer. Bueno, pues. <laughs> so <laughs> I Googled Agonizer to see, like, what the hell is going on here, gang. And, um, and I didn't find a lot, but I did find an article from Spin Magazine. Oh, shit. That's from, I, Spin. Yeah, re legit stuff. Uh, Relevant in 2007. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, I remember I had a couple spins. I used to have, you know, same. Yeah, they're no longer even in mm -hmm. print. I think they just exist online. Yeah, which is exactly what this oh, is. Wow. This is from 2013 from uh, someone named Chris Martins. And the title of the article is Cuban Metal Comes to XSW. SXSW. Oh, Southwest, Southwest. <laughs> yes, that guy. Escape agonizer and ancestor liberated at last and i was like what the hell does this mean oh i do not know well, i'll tell you wow. <laughs> last year spin scribe david peisner traveled south to explore the hidden world of extreme cuban metal while there he met three exceptionally heavy bands now poised to make their live debut on u.s soil this year, South by Southwest Music Conference and Music and Festival will make history by welcoming Ancestor, Escape, and Agonizer to the stage. And I was like, okay, uh, what is this hidden world of extreme Cuban metal? Which I clicked and 
I got brought to this article titled Red Menace Inside the Hidden World of Extreme Cuban Metal. It's a great article, lots of information, great photographs. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read the first entrance to it, which really describes how Cuban heavy metal life is lived, basically. Uh, Written by David Peisner, released May 9th, 2012. At 1 a.m. on a warm, windy Friday night in mid-March, the park is a sea of long, dark hair and black concert t-shirts. Slayer, Bathory, Gorgoroth, Megadeth. I've been led here by Ahmed Helheim Olivares, frontman of Abandon, a young band that hours earlier had played a relentless, assaultive 45-minute set at an Art Deco cinema a few blocks away from the first night of the third annual 666 Fest. A weekend. A w- <laughs> I know. Bless it. A weekend long celebration that. of Cuban black metal. After wiping the corpse paint from his face and the black upside down cross from his arm and stowing the nail studded armband he wore on stage, Olivares finds me outside after the show. He claps me on the shoulder and smiles widely. For metal in Cuba, You have to see G Street, he says. Metalheads have been hanging out on this remarkable corner most weekend nights since the mid-90s. Nobody seems to know why they chose this location, but whiling away the nighttime hours outside, hanging with like-minded comrades, is common in Alana. It's too expensive to frequent bars or clubs, so on Friday and Saturday nights at spots like this, packs of the young and sometimes not so young can be seen sharing a few communal bottles of rum, doing not very much. So they describe like hanging out and passing rum around how uh, everybody's pretty, uh, you know, you gotta, people here are friendly, (laughs) they pass the rum with the exception of one heavily inebriated man who keeps dropping his shorts and exposing himself. Most of the time, people are well behaved. Sounds like the Caribbean. I know, right? (laughs) So it says here, and this is amazing to me. The 666 Fest isn't Cuba's biggest metal festival. Tonight's show drew approximately 200 people. Tomorrow night, there will be a few more than that. But its very existence is rather shocking. In a country ruled for more than 50 years by an authoritarian communist regime known for its intolerance of free expression and resistance to anything that stinks of imperialist capitalist Yankees heavy metal has taken hold for over the past two decades in a major way. While its audience is dwarfed by that for salsa or reggaeton, its stylistic leanings and brash antisocial attitude are eye-opening. Metal here is almost uniformly deafening, punishing, and brutally aggressive. As Michel Hernandez, frontman for a popular trash metal outfit called Schlover, Clover, Chlover, no sé. C-H, C-H lover. Chlover. Quien sabe. But as Michelle Hernandez uh, (laughs) says, we don't listen to Bon Jovi here. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) They said we are not living on no prayers. 
Joel Caos, one of the festival's organizers, is a surprisingly cheery guy who plays bass in Ancestor, an anarchic, thunderous black metal band, which is headlighting Saturday's show. Quote, you need extreme music to match your extreme life, he says, drawing a direct cause and effect. Quote, you find harder metal in, cr- in countries that are more oppressed. We have something to scream about. So I just thought it was really wonderful to like see that this is, you know, nestled in this country where you don't really hear that kind of stuff Mm. coming from. And uh, the reason why the South by Southwest article was important was because at the time, it's obviously different now that, you know, things have changed between the U.S. and Cuba. But at the time, they had to go through a lot of like a humongous process to get those three bands into the U.S. to be able to perform. And in the other article, they discuss how hard it is to share their music outside of Cuba because of the restrictions in Internet and like publications and the anti-imperialist vibes of like, we don't want to be Yankee nation over here. So I'll put the the link to the article in the show notes so that you guys can read that article. Really interesting, all the different aspects with it. And I just thought, you know, that line of them saying we're oppressed, we have more to scream about. I was like, that makes a lot of sense, dude. So and that's the end of my trivia. I'm really glad you found that, though. The only thing that somewhat annoys me is the opening in and of itself being like oh it's so shocking that this could exist like americans just think that cubans suffer at home and that's it yeah you know that's all they do there are so many Mm -hmm. vibrant thriving subcultures in cuba and um and yeah thank you so much for sharing that that's so interesting in general i think Latin American, especially when it comes to the music industry. And we've talked about this on Uikirur before, where like mm-hmm. uh, it's like people forget, oh, they listen to other genres other than salsa and reggaeton. Like just because you don't have to p- fucking play a bongo while I come into a room. <laughs> like I can like I can listen to other shit too. Yeah, growing up as a goth in Puerto Rico was hard. But, you know, we exist. (laughs) Yeah. And not only that, like, we listen to fucking country ass shit, too. Musica Sertaneja is Brazilian country. And, like... I'm a country stan here. Come on. I love music, but country, (laughs) fuck you. I love country. (laughs) Yeah, there's... we Like, it's so ridiculous. Fire up the Johnny Cash. (laughs) El Juanito Dinerito, okay? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's the, it's this uh this stereotype that I hope gets diffused and uh removed because the Mexican emos is 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 doing mm. the work for us. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> Love mm-hmm. us, the Mexican oh God, emo totally. uh, movement. So the emus. So anyways, that's the end of my trivia. May Get those five pages out and hit us with the information. (laughs) Take it away. So I really, you know, if Juliana was not right. So right now, Juliana actually has a film coming out that is premiering in New York right now. New York Latino Film Festival. And she has her brand new film, Receta No Incluida, 
cool. premiering there. And for me and Johnny's uh, purposes, maybe finally Johnny will do something with me. It's coming <laughs> to D.C. for the AFI Latin American <laughs> Film Festival October 8th through the 13th. Juliana's going to be here. Holy shit. So, um, just to say a little bit about Receta No Incluida, I'm going to read the synopsis, which is in Spanish. So it won already the South by Southwest Audience Award of 2022. Nice. Um, and so right now, she since it's Latin Heritage... Latina Heritage Month. Okay, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, she's doing a bunch of little festivals over the next month or so. The synopsis says, Dos extraños buscan sanar en medio de la Navidad. Una película íntima que aborda la salud mental. Two so. people try and uh, uh, heal themselves through uh, throughout Christmas time. Yeah, wow. throughout Christmas time. So, um, so yeah. So if you guys, if you see a Latino film festival in your area, check it out because I think Receta No Incluida is pretty much hitting up all of them. Amazing. Um, so that's what she's in the middle of doing right now. But I told her that, you know, we were going to do this. We're so excited. And so I asked Johnny and Eileen to think of some questions. My goal is to kind of fill in all of the gaps for this film, because this film, we haven't said this yet. This is actually Juliana's first film. This was her graduating film. It was her capstone film for La Escuela Internacional de Cine y TV. Wow. Um, it was made in 2012. So, like, this is the very, very, very first one. So, I knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of information out on it. And so, uh, I do have quite a few things to go over. So, uh, just to go over, like, what it won and whatnot. It won Best International and National Film at Cine Fiesta, which used to be one of Puerto Rico's biggest film festivals that now no longer exists. Um, It's screened at Puerto Mm. Rican Horror Film Festival, which is how I found out about it, which is now Luzca Fantastic Film Festival. It also won an award at the San Sebastián Horror and Fantasy Film Festival in Spain. And that's one of the biggest horror festivals in the world nice. so um and also wow. screened out rojo sangre in argentina which is the biggest uh horror festival we've, we've talked about rojo yeah. sangre on the pod before there you yeah. go yeah. so so yeah so like right out of the gate you know juliana i think made such a strong film that was clearly accoladed for good purposes and we've already said this before you know she's she is a working filmmaker she keeps making films so that is super exciting um all right so to get into the story itself one of i'm so glad eileen asked this question because this is maybe my favorite answer that juliana gave us eileen asked about the inspiration for the blood monster Mm -hmm. and i was like oh that's really good Mm. And Juliana's answer blew my mind and has now made me my fa- made this my favorite movie. She says she was inspired by the monster from Possession by Andrzej Zulowski, which is uh-huh. my favorite film. I That's was so like, funny. oh, wow. my God. And also mm-hmm. a few things. You know, in that film, that monster is a psychosexual representation. And I was like, oh, shit, she she nailed this. And it looks like it, too. After she said that, I was like, what? That's it. You know what's hilarious? What? The movie La Región Salvaje 
was highly influenced also by the movie Possession. That movie is incredible. I need to watch it. I need, that's the one from Mexico, right? Yes, it's from okay, Mexico. Yeah. I, I think you guys put up the trailer and I was like, oh, I got to watch this. But I don't know. You I gotta. probably got my period that weekend. Mm. <laughs> I forgot. Listen, I get it. <laughs> but I remember. I, I remember. Um, so, yeah. So that was the inspiration. So, you know, this story obviously then takes a lot from Lovecraft, um, a lot from psychosexuality. I already had my sexual connotation before I asked before I asked her these questions. And that like sealed it for me. And also in Possession. After uh, Anna has intercourse with the monster, she becomes a doppelganger. And Mm -hmm. that, I mean, we don't see doppelgangers in this film, but we do see transformation. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, transformation due to psychosexual trauma. So so maybe there's Mm. something there? Maybe. Totally. I think that moment where we only see Ewa's legs at the locker room after we've seen her be quote unquote possessed by this being i think that's the moment where you're like oh that's not her anymore that's oh yeah that's oh yeah fully mm-hmm. something something's, yeah. something's different yeah, yeah for sure so one mm-hmm. thing that i was really curious about was juliana's decision to go to the film school in cuba because i've been interviewing boricua filmmakers for a few years now and One thing that I notice is, well, first off, if you guys don't know this, there's no film school in Puerto Rico. You can maybe Mm. take a few film classes Mm. as an elective, but if you want to pursue film or filmmaking, you essentially have like three main options. Either one, you learn on the job by working for one of the news stations or working for advertising in Puerto Rico. Maybe Mm. you'll get a communications degree from UPR or something. But um, there's no like clear way there. The second option is you go to the United States. We're going to school out of state is especially very expensive, especially coming from colonial families Mm. unless you get a scholarship um myself i graduated from puerto rico i knew i wanted to go to film school i decided to go back to florida because i was raised between the two i was the love child of an affair so things got complicated (laughs) so so yeah so that's why i went to florida because i knew i could still get in state tuition because my mother lived there um Mm. but the third option that i've learned about more recently due to these interviews is going to cuba because the school there actually actively recruits from the caribbean and it's much more affordable than any school in the united states Mm -hmm. and it is one of the best in the world it's also a very politically motivated uh, curriculum and that i'm not saying that the the school is outright teaching socialism it's not but mm-hmm. especially film schools in the united states are just very capitalist very hollywood oriented very this mm. is, we're training you to go on the job market and i hated it i hated it so much but the film mm-hmm. school in cuba is very much educationally based it's also because it is a socialist country you know there is a different approach to the methodology that they teach their students and so um another thing that a lot of boricuas have told me that for better or worse the cuban government treats its foreign students like angels like they want them to stay 
if you are in Cuba as a foreigner, you are treated very well. Cuba is a land of opportunity as long as mm. you're not actually Cuban. Um, so, you wow. know, there's a lot of mm. nuance mm. in what I've learned from the experience of others. So I asked Juliana directly because I wasn't sure, you know, what it was. Juliana yeah. said that in her case, she was accepted to study physical theater in Italy, but the program delayed its start for a year. So in that time, she was taking a few film classes at a university in Mayagüez, which is in Puerto Rico, where her instructors encouraged her to consider the film school in Cuba. Um, like I said, the Cuban uh, film school is renowned globally, not just in the Caribbean. They really mm -hmm. cultivate an international student body, which honestly, I feel like surprises people because there's always this like, again, for better or worse, this like myth of Cuban isolationism. But especially sure. through the film school, they want the diverse student body and they're actually very successful in, in garnering it. Um, so yeah, another thing that if people aren't fully familiar with the history of Cuba, especially the Cuban revolution, Cuba's revolutionary government, which formed around the mid, uh, 20th century, you know, due to us intervention, but also interfighting within Cuba, they yeah. prioritized filmmaking as part of the political struggle. So film has always been extremely hmm. important to the Cuban national identity. Like before, um, you know, one of the first government agencies created by the revolutionary government was a film board and they paid filmmakers to build a very distinct socialist national cinema so you know mm. film is still really essential to cuban national culture and identity and that's fed pretty healthily by the film school down there so sure Juliana took the entrance exam for the school. She got accepted into the fiction filmmaking program where she was the only woman and the only Puerto wow. Rican in the program. Um, she yeah. knew that this was going to be mm. one of the most unique experiences that she could get anywhere. And yeah. uh, especially compared to what was waiting for her in Italy. So instead of going to Italy, she decided to stay in Cuba. Um, awesome. Right. And so I asked wow. her, like, does she miss making films in Cuba? And she said that she misses the country. She doesn't necessarily miss the school, but she does miss her colleagues and the camaraderie they establish at the program. And she says that all of them literally work all over the world now. Um, they never Amazing. really see yeah. each other. But wow. she said it was like a really global experience for her. And I sure. think that that is something that is really cool about the film school in Cuba. Um, all right. So then... Uh, you know, you guys asked a few questions like about the inspiration, uh, how did making it come about, um, you know, the influence of horror and storytelling. And she gave this incredible answer that I've been waiting to share with you because <laughs> I think it's going to give us it's going to blow your mind. My mind got blown. So. Okay. Juliana used to do water polo. Whoa. Okay. And Agon was inspired by her years playing water polo in Maya West. She said that she, it was extremely competitive. She would 
train like crazy. And so the fear that is central to Agon is this fear of self-destruction for competition to win at all costs. So mm. Agon is fueled by this destructive mm. nature cultivated by competition. It is also inspired by the fear of what's not seen underwater. That's exactly what she said. And the things mm -hmm. that happen uh. that aren't seen. Now, when she said that, I interpreted this to mean a few things, but especially the horror of what happens behind closed doors, right? The horror of sure. us not sharing mm. what happens to us, right? Um, so actually, Juliana said this herself. She said that she views Agon as dealing with three levels of fear. The fear of what's happening above water, in the water, and underwater. And she summarizes this all by saying, quote, the fear of the unseen and how it affects you, end quote. I mean, you guys were picking up on that. Yes. She confirmed <laughs> it. Yeah. Wow. Also interesting, like that she's speaking about levels is that there are so many literal, like physical levels. Like there's that highest plank of the diving platform. There's the pool. There's Freddy Krueger's boiler room in this movie there. And like, we're always like, kind of like flowing yeah, it's a multi-tiered fear. Wow, fascinating. Absolutely. Fascinating. And even in the camera work, we end with perspectives at all three levels. We get shots at all three totally. levels. So um, I think we were all like feeling it, but to hear her spell it out like that was like really rewarding and also just shows how well done it was. Absolutely. Her her it came across very well. So um I also asked her how influential Cuba was to the film and the story. Like, is this a Cuban story? Is it a Puerto Rican story? Um, and so this is the only film that she has ever mm. made in Cuba. It's also the only film of her set in Cuba. And I was wondering if like the story came first, the setting came first. And so she says she couldn't have made this exact film in Puerto Rico especially because the team we see in the film was the actual youth water polo team at Havana at the time. No way. Another yeah. thing I wanted to say. Wow. Yeah. That was the real <laughs> water shit. polo team. I had a feeling though, because all those women were moving like athletes. I was like, Oh, yes. Yeah. They clearly know what they're doing. Water polo is no fucking joke. And I didn't even put it like they were so good at what they were doing. Obviously, I'm like, I didn't even think like, oh, yeah, these people actually play yeah. the sport. Yeah. Like, yeah, it makes, it makes total sense. sense. Right. And also how lucky to find a gal in there, not only one gal, several yeah. gals and be like, okay, now we'll have a communal period together, ladies and action and like nail it and totally be great at it. Wow. Good for you. So gal. this team was one of the best in the world at the time for youth water polo. Fucking A shit. And wow. she said that this specific team and their personalities had a lot to do with how she developed the story. She said that the events in the story more or less did stay the same but she's not sure that she would have found a water polo team in puerto rico that 
would have done everything that she needed to get done. So, um, so really Amazing. interesting there, you know, this is to me, this is obviously a Puerto Rican film. Um, you know, it's made by the Puerto Rican auteur. She wrote it. She, mm-hmm. you know, it's based on her own fears. Um, the way that she inhabited her own body for competition. And I think that clearly comes out visually and narratively totally. in the film. But you do see this really beautiful collaboration due to where she was. And one thing that we didn't necessarily mention when we were going over the film is I loved how much the Cuban flag was prominent in a lot yes, of the visuals. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, this is very so it's very much a story set in Cuba, but it, it's also very specific to Juliana's own identity. Um, so Johnny asked some questions about like horror storytelling. And so Juliana had some really interesting things to say about that. She said that she thinks storytelling within horror is very therapeutic. First, she thinks making horror is super fun. She thinks horror filmmaking brings difficult challenges that can be very rewarding. She was always a lover of horror films as a spectator, and she truly cherishes every part of the process in making horror films. She thinks horror can give people many things that other genres don't. You do have other liberties that aren't as acceptable in other genres, or else you risk making like a parody or coming off as distasteful. With horror, Juliana thinks you can experiment a lot more, not only with fears, but you can push a lot of boundaries with horror overall in personal and innovative ways that with other genres, it's not as free as acceptable. And um, another question you guys asked is like, what is her favorite horror? What is her favorite Latinx horror? And her favorite horror movie is Possession by Andrzej Zulowski. And she actually said that she's unsure if she has a favorite Latin horror, but she does obviously take a lot of inspiration from uh, Latin culture. Uh, She thinks a lot of her horror inspiration comes from things that may not be specifically horror. Like first she mentioned the surreal work of Luis Buñuel, uh, which although, you know, Luis Buñuel was a Spaniard, he did make his career in Mexico, was very inspired by Mexico and lived there most of his life. And of course she says that she's inspired by Guillermo del Toro. And that was about it. Wonderful. I mean, how can you not? Uh, that, That shot that we like crawled from the bottom up to see her splayed out that way. And that goopy monster. I mean, that's GDT all over. You can see, you can definitely see a GDT movie with something similar. That shot itself is nearly identical to one in possession as well, um, where they're having intercourse. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that's why to me still, Oh, one thing I wanted to mention is the First synopsis I read is actually the the synopsis on her website. And I only mention Mm -hmm. it because this synopsis actually points out Omar. So in this synopsis on Juliana's website, she says, the girls are not the same happy girls after the new coach Omar joined the team and pushes them to their limits. And it's just one sentence, but it just, um, Uh. yeah, I think that this is a film that can be interpreted many ways um and i always i always say this to my students that uh films are like rorschach tests that based on our own personal experiences and fears Mm. we interpret we get out of it 
what says more about us than perhaps even the filmmaker. And just for me, to me that this is a film, yes, it's a film about competition and whatnot, but to me it's a film about sexual predators and uh, abuse Mm -hmm. and things like that. I'm not too sure Mm if Juliana would agree with that, um, but this whole idea of the horrors that are unseen, I loved how she worded that because that's just so scary right (laughs) yeah and the biggest part of abusers is keeping the abuse quiet and unseen even though it's literally out in the open absolutely we we said like everyone is like there's no shame here no one's hiding it it's just out in the open yeah totally which is wild yeah i will say that may like um like I mentioned earlier in the episode, when I first saw this this short film, I was like, oh, it's about competition. But then I mentioned that specific moment of Omar grabbing Eva so strong, so close, like face to face, and them just like staring at each other. And it wasn't until a few, you know, watches that I was like, oh, that's what this is about. So I agree with with your your take on it, that this to me, like the more I saw it, I was like, oh, this is about a sexual predator and how it has affected each yeah. and every one of yeah. these young women. Um, but again, like I think it is open to interpretation and I think that yeah. speaks to Juliana's talent yeah, because sure. damn, you know, it's just levels yeah. on levels on levels. Very, very powerful. I think the last little thing I want to mention for trivia is when Johnny and Eileen asked me to do this podcast, we were really wanting to do a Puerto Rican horror. Um, But the fact of the matter is horror is not a thriving genre in Puerto Rico at all. And it's very difficult to make Mm. films overall in Puerto Rico because the thing about the Puerto Rican film industry is that it can't be considered a national film industry by many institutional standards because we're an active colony. So say Mm. that... Puerto Rican filmmakers or Puerto Rican organizations, which on the island, there's really only one main one called a doc PR and they're a documentary um, organization, but literally every filmmaker that I've spoken to from Puerto Rico is a member of that organization because it's the only one on the island. And so I've spoken to like people who run a doc and I'm like, how do you guys find the money? And they're like, well, a few things. One, our film commission is politically elected. And right now there's a right wing pro U S government that prioritizes Hollywood productions Um, above all other Puerto Rican productions. So, you know, it's not even a fact of like, Oh, they don't give us money. It's, Oh, they tell us that we can't even shoot because the U.S. is in town. Right. Um, so it's a so but also like say that a doc wants to be like, OK, you know, fuck the United States. Let's just go to let's just try and get some funds from Europe or some shit like that. A lot of European institutions don't recognize that Puerto Rico is trying to be its own national film industry because of its legal status. Mm-hmm. So you're stuck in a limbo. Right. And. American institutions sure. don't recognize Puerto Rican mm. films. One of the most um, egregious examples I can give you guys is the Academy of, you know, the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences. 
banned Puerto Rican films in 2012 from being considered for best foreign language film because Puerto Rico is not a foreign entity. It, they're forcing Puerto Rican films to go up against Hollywood films. It's not going to happen. So films being released in Puerto Rico, local films, is very slow. It's typically a very long multi-year process. And yeah, and then the few films that are made, very few of them are horror. And um, the most sure. recent examples I could think of are mm. is like a 2018 film called El Karaoke and like... uh. Yeah, a few things like that, you know, typically directed by men, um, typically very low budget. Mm. So, yeah, there mm. isn't really like a horror community to speak of in Puerto Rico, which bums me out. But uh, that's the reality of the situation, which is uh, it's very frustrating to I I mean, not to be <laughs> not to be totally Benito forward, but I will be. He uh, Bad Bunny just released the music video for El Apagón, which was it's the song that's basically him saying Puerto Rico is a mess and we have been a mess for a while and the government doesn't fucking give a shit. And he said Okay, I'm going to make you a music video, but guess what? It's also a 25-minute documentary of how we're being displaced and how because Puerto Rico is a tax haven that a bunch of fucking assholes like fucking Logan Paul gets to come Brock over here Turner and too, purchase. Think, no, yeah, uh, he's the worst. Yeah, Brock Turner, yeah. all this stuff. If you have 25 minutes of your day Fucking watch the Apagón music video, learn something, because I sure as fuck did. And like. Which he did with Bianca Graulao, see, who's like our indie reporter extraordinaire. She I love is, her. I see, I watch her on TikTok all the fucking time, and she's fucking dope and no bullshit. And she is like making it so accessible. And that's what I was gonna, yes, accessible as hell. Like she is real as fuck and like. You don't feel like you. Yeah. She makes you understand it. And it's wonderful. The music video shows actual Puerto Ricans that are being displaced in the process of you see a woman in her home with her shit is full of boxes where she's literally looking at an eviction notice because some fucking piece of shit bought the building that she lives in. Which I don't know if you guys know this right now, but mm. as we're recording, Hurricane Fiona is in Puerto Rico. Arriving. That bitch is showing up and doing whatever the fuck she fucking and wants. And this is uh, infrastructure, people that... Still haven't covered, recovered from Maria and, and several earthquakes, right. um, which sounds like an exaggeration because that was already six, five, four years ago. But it's also just the truth. Right. So, yeah, things are very, you know, I struggle. I mean, my life's career is, you know, yes, I'm in horror studies and, and queer studies and feminist studies, but... I, as a very weird, like half diaspora Rican, half uh, Chicago Macau, um, you know, I always feel very complex feelings that I chose the United States as a way for me to get my education and get the sort resources that I need. 
that now I just I always want to pivot that back to shining a light on Puerto Rico, bringing things back to Puerto Ricans. And so um, it's complicated for sure. And, you know, I don't think the answers are sadly on the island because there is no anything regarding infrastructure on the island. I mean, one of the best telescopes in the world of Arecibo, like this is a telescope that uh, it, it was one of our few like international national treasures because people from all over the world would go to this telescope in Puerto Rico to study, you know, the sky, whatever people with telescopes do. <laughs> um, science. Sorry. Science, girl, here at Horror, <laughs> we call that science. <laughs> <laughs> women in stem <laughs> it got irreparably damaged in 2018 and president trump at the time refused to put money in to fix it and so now one of the few things that made puerto rico stand out just like is gone with the wind and this is science this isn't even talking about the arts you know so sometimes right. I, I always wonder like with everything else going on in Puerto Rico, how important is it to have a film industry? But the thing is that it is. Like, my goal is to one day have a proper organization in Puerto Rico that I can get real money funded into. That way, filmmakers have the money. They don't even need to go to the film commission because the film commission's not a real film commission. Um, but that we just, you know, watch mm. these stories. We're made aware mm. of them. We, we spread the word. And, and also that we realize that, like, if we do ever decide to like shoot in Puerto Rico or do things in Puerto Rico, that we have to honor the artists and voices that are, are already there, that we shouldn't just take the honestly, the giveaways that are given to us because we're foreigners in Puerto Rico, which is what the Puerto Rican government prioritizes and has made a legal construct for the most part. Um, OK, I'm off my soapbox. I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, we want to talk about this this horror film with you, but like that is what we want you to speak on, you know, in our teeny tiny way. Like this is our with our little group of people who follow us on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, who listen to us. Like at least this is our small way of being like, put your eyes on it, people. And that's why Benito is awesome. But one thing I'll say about Benito is he always bankrolls Puerto Rican filmmakers, directors, artists for all of the shit that he does. He is uh, using his fame in a way that is incredibly honorable and real and not just to the people of of Puerto Rico, but like he's toxic masculinity. He's like, suck it. He's trying to change what it is to be a fucking latino man which comes with so much fucking baggage and bullshit using the fact that he is global to put attention on that stuff is unbelievable and very very uh noble of him so way to go bad bunny but like at the end the music is actually and the like music really is good fucking too. good get the fuck out of here Benito. okay well, May, you're a fucking brilliant human being. And thank you so much for this wonderful insight on Puerto Rico, because 
Like you said, a big reason why we can't showcase that many PR movies is because of this problem that we have. And like, it's wonderful to have somebody like you who has the knowledge and is willing to share it with us, which is a very important thing. So we appreciate you like breaking it down. Johnny, you don't have any trivia for us today because May is too thorough. No, I just I was like, take it away, please, May. How about we get into some questions? May, were you scared? No, but I realize I don't get (laughs) very scared with horror. Usually, you know, it's the shit that typically scares me is like films like Uncut Gems. Give me an anxiety attack during a movie and I'm like, I can never watch it again. <laughs> um, so no, but it's because my brain is broken. <laughs> sure. Makes sense. <laughs> Johnny, what about you? Were you scared? I mean, I'm going to agree with May. No, but I was quite unnerved. There's that underlying feeling of like, algo está pasando yeah. y no me gusta. How about you, Eileen? Were you scared? I agree with the both of you. I was mostly unnerved. So, all right, May, what was your best scare? I think it would be the face grabbing moment that to me revealed so much nefariousness and just horror. If I have to think like deep unsettlement, easily the intimacy between Omar and Ava. Totally. Johnny, what about you? What was your best scare? I gave it to the ear cleaning scene in the shower, um, which I guess would be more like, ugh. But, you know, just the idea of like, ew, what are you doing? What's going on? Does it hurt? Like, why? what's that noise? It's just the first moment that you're just like, something's wrong here. And we just started. We just started. So that's going to take it. What about you, Eileen? For me, it was actually the girls marching down into the darkness of uh, whatever awaited them down there. I just that really fucking creeped me out. And I'll give a a special shout out to the jump scare of the coach being like, boo, when he was founder down there because I jumped real high. (laughs) Um, May, who was your favorite character? Blood Monster. Yeah. Um, I always call the monster in possession a Lovecraftian fuck monster. And now this is a Lovecraftian, Boricua, Cubano, Caribbean fuck monster. There you go. Love it. Johnny, what about you? Who is your favorite character? (laughs) I'm so sorry. Fuck Fuck monster is hilarious. Uh, My my favorite character was Eva, you know, like, I guess just because she's our lead. She was fascinating to watch. Did a great job. Um, So I'm going to give it to Eva. I want to give a special shout out to the Afro-Cubanas on the team. It was like 75% Afro-Cubanas. I loved you guys. You were fierce as hell. Yes, that is a question that I wish, like later on, I was like, fuck, I wish I had asked me to send this question to Juliana. I was like, because uh, La Eva is, she's she's white. I was like, interesting. I wonder if that was a specific choice Mm. for Juliana to make Eva white and the majority of her teammates of Afro-Cubanas. So, yeah, after she told me they were the actual water polo team, I was like, oh, that makes so much fucking sense. Yeah. Um, Who was your favorite character, Eileen? Uh, I wrote Eva, but sabes que a a mí también me encantó el blood uh, fuck monster. So I'm going to give it for both of them. Monsters who fuck. (laughs) 
May, what was your best line? I mean, like, puta, of course. Puta cabrona! Puyeta! Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, nothing feels better to me than a hearty puñeta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Johnny, what about you? Yeah. What was your best line? My best line was one that felt very necessary in this movie, which was Omar's line, si no son ganadoras, no son nadie, which I was just like, ooh. Thesis statement. Mine was also, si no son ganadoras, no son nadie, pero también... Cojones, chica, puta. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's, I can't go that's without rough, the man. cussing. You got it. Oh, I'm like yeah, 14. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah. Rude. <laughs> yeah, calm down. What was your best death? Was there a death? I mean, technically, maybe the other team. That um, we never saw. And uh, Mr. Medical Illness. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> Mr. Mm, Medical Illness. Damian. I think my favorite death is the death of innocence because it makes me so sad. Um, but it's also just metaphorized so traumatically and beautifully in this film. I'm a big yeah. fan of like beautiful violence, especially traumatic violence. And mm. to me, this film really nails that. Agreed. Totally. Johnny, best death. I'm going to just echo what Maja said that was really, really well said. This is like the death of innocence here, you know, metaphorically. Yes, 100% Juliana nailed it. What about you? Eva. Yeah. Because to me, mm. I feel like, which I guess is death of innocence because that's who was carrying it. But like when we see that finger twitch I feel like that's the last bit of her surviving and ending in that moment. And then when she once we see her blood covered legs in the locker room, I was like, that's that's the blood fuck monster inside of her. You know what I mean? It's not her anymore. Love crafting so. fuck monsters, man. There you go. Did you learn anything from the culture, May? I'm not sure if I would say I learned this or that this is something that I think I already had in the back of my head. And it was mm -hmm. really cool to see this kind of come to life is and, and, I'll, and I think I'll just call myself out. I think when you're raised, especially in the United States for so long and in the United States culture, which for better or worse, Puerto Rican culture is a version of U.S. culture. Um you just internalize these things of like Cuba is not as developed as the rest of us. And it was just really cool to see how important the sport was to this team, how important patriotism was to this team. Again, it's not it wasn't necessarily surprising or something that I learned, but it was a way of me to like pull back the imperial sheen, I guess, so to sure. speak. Where even like I honestly, yeah, Cuba is complex as fuck, but I truly love Cubans. I love the country. I think it is n nowhere near black or white. You know, yeah, really awful things happen there. But I also think Cubans are some of the most expressive people in the world because of all of these different things that they've been dealt with. And, um, and it was just really cool. ¿Y tú, Jonathan? Did you learn anything from the culture? You know, I just wrote water polo which to me not to copy exactly what you're saying again may but saying like water polo i was like i wouldn't expect to have seen this in cuba so it was just like a realization like 
people are fucking living their lives down there. Like, just like you said, there is a very, very specific view of like what life is like. And it, it's just completely not Definitely. that at all. Like people are fucking playing water polo and the team happens to be kicking really damn ass. good. So yeah, kicking oh. ass worldwide. And that complex didn't look all that different from a water polo complex Ab- of the same absolutely. time over here. Like, yeah, exactly. So like, you know, I, I said, yes, I absolutely did learn something. What about you, Eileen? I said, yes, especially because, you know, even though I said a whole fucking monologue of like, a bunch of us don't always listen to salsa and reggaeton, <sighs> but like when I Googled death metal in Cuba, that's not what I thought of at yeah. all. You know what I mean? So I learned that there are Mm -hmm. are legit metal festivals and that kind of stuff going on down there. So there isn't a scene like that in Puerto Rico. I try to find it. Trust. (laughs) You're like, give me the goths. But I think it's I think you both made this same point in that, like, God, we really are fucking brainwashed to believe that certain people live a certain way because of their government because of their their past because of whatever it is like you have this vision in your head because you haven't been educated about it enough or because you haven't been exposed to like their livelihood through their media through their film through their music or any of that so if anything i learned that uh the imperialistic view that's upon all of us is very prevalent and it's incredibly unfortunate because simple things like a water polo Mm. team or fucking death metal are not only there but absolutely prevalent and normal there as well it's not which is a shame Mm. on our behalf that we have to be so blinded for uh, to it. And I think it. it's really cool. This is mm-hmm. why I really wanted to ask Juliana about her decision of doing this in Cuba, because this is someone that easily could have gone to the United States with, like, we can go to school in the United States, like, nothing. Um, she was going to yeah. go to Italy, but she openly, yeah. very, right. you know, uh, oh, my God, intently chose to do this in cuba because she knew she would not get an experience like that anywhere else and um i think that speaks so much to her values as a person so um yeah yeah. and finally how many ooys do you give this movie may this question gave me the most consternation (laughs) because i was like (laughs) how do i rate an ooey (laughs) i was like to explain to you and to to our audience, Johnny and I have two very different views of how we give our ooze. Our ooze are genuinely mm-hmm. irrelevant. Like we, I don't, I don't take this explanation. No, <laughs> I have an answer. <laughs> Great, wonderful. Because it, the ooze are up to you. Your ooze can be uh, uh, your level of how many ooze is very personalized. So. For uh, for May and May alone, this is how many ooze she gives this well, movie. Well, so, yeah. So, like, I kind of, like, I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to embody ooze and my skeleton, and it's going to be my gut reaction as to just 
how valuable I think this film is. And so I'm going to give it, my instinct was to give it a four. And I'm going to be, Juliana is definitely going to listen to this. So I feel bad um, saying something. But at first I was going to say four because the sound mixing is a little bit off in it. And, um, And so like as a film professor, I was like, Oh, I want to fix this sound. Um, but then mm. I was like, shut the fuck up, May. This is such... A- <laughs> and then as I interviewed her, I was like, this is, you know, especially as um, someone that kind of is like the Puerto Rican horror queen or, you know, like, I am thirsting for really incredible and layered stories like that's the sort of shit i'm hoping to find and whenever i see another puerto rican horror short that's like some man's vision of some bullshit like like it's just not good how much of puerto rican horror i've seen that's all been male directed Mm. i look at this and i'm like this is what i want like this is what i want to see narratives of this so the four turns into a five. If anything, like, I think the technical limitations of the film, like its sound and whatnot, just shows how much she has grown and what she was working with and how it's still effective, even with, like, um, the sound mixing off being in places. And this is her thesis film, like, a badass. Mm. So, yeah, to me, it's a totally. five out of five. I can't oh wait to... um. Yeah, I hope she keeps making horror. Totally, absolutely. Itu Jonathan, how many uis do you give this movie? Interesting. I also started with four, but then I bumped it to, bumped it up to four and a half. Um, I think this is just fabulous. Like I said, I watched it so many times, gained something different each time I saw it, and uh, can't wait to see what's next for Juliana. She is. So incredibly talented, and I'm so excited for her and uh, for what yeah. we're going to see from her. The The reason I gave it four and a half, the only thing that I'll bump it for is like just a stupid basic ass bitch observation here, which uh, as a horror fan, it was the last moment of the film where La Eva turns around and we see her ojos are like possessed. And for some reason that the eyes didn't land for me <laughs> because it was a little bit. No, it is budget. No, it's budget. I liked that it was budget though. I was like, oh, party city vibes. I mean, it's the most zombie possession yeah. exorcist look of the movie kind of but it was like a hint too on the nose for me like i think if eva had turned around without that and still with like the because there's literally like dark substance coming from her eyes i was like i think that scene without the contact lenses just with her ojos i would have been like yeah, Ugh. yeah. okay got it like message received so that's the only reason i'll bump it it's a very very small thing but this was yeah. fucking awesome. And I'm so glad you picked this movie, May. What about you, Eileen? For both for sound and the contact lenses also got me. Yeah, the no contact way. lenses, I was like... <laughs> the contact lenses. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah, yeah, other yeah, than yeah. that, mm-hmm. like, I think it's a wonderful way of bringing this feminine aggression that isn't often seen in film i think it's uh the monster Mm. was very cool looking and very creepy and gooey and i mean body horror-y 
that ear moment, ever, all of that, the tension. I think it's a for your first fucking film. That's fucking awesome. And I think she fucking nailed what a delight to have a female director. What a delight to have a mostly female cast. It's a great short, very uh, poignant and very effective. So congrats all around, Juliana Maite. You fucking nailed it. Yes, we stand. (laughs) We do. Here at Week Horror, we stand. And uh, (laughs) listen. This is this is it. We did it. We made it. Let's get out of the swimming pool and go into the smaller one where you are supposed to sit for a while before you fully exit because or else you'll cramp. I think that's the purpose. I'm here like, where is this metaphor going? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's genuinely that's genuinely the purpose of those little pools. Oh, really? So I don't want to cramp. And neither should you. Uh, thank you, everybody, our, all of our listeners for being here with us. May, please tell us where we can find you uh, on social media, on your podcast stuff, any future things you want to plug. Please, this is your t- get back on the soapbox, but only for you. This is your time to shine. So you can find me in a ditch, in a grave, just dying. No. <laughs> um, I guess if you want to follow me, my tag is Mesoleum, like Mausoleum, but with a Y, like May, um, on all of the socials. Um, but my horror mm-hmm. podcast is Horrorsperia. We're like on horrorsperia.com or whatever. And I think the main thing coming up, I'm not fully sure when this will be out, but I do have three screenings happening in October at Sun Cinema in DC three queer horror screenings. Um, I'll save the details, but you can Google them uh, by looking up Sun Cinema in DC if this is out in time by then. We'll put all the info in the in the story notes too. And I want to say thank you to both of you. I like this is the happiest three hours I've spent in in like all week. And I am so honored and I feel like I'm a person today. So thank you. Well, we appreciate you being a person here with us. Thank you again so much for being here. We uh, uh, like your knowledge is uh, unbounded and fills our space. And we appreciate that fills our space. That feels I want to fill your space. But it does (laughs) fill my space, May. It fills fills our pool pool. filled with blood and it is all your knowledge. But consensually. Consensually. (laughs) For real, though, May, you're the best. Thank you so much for being here with us. Aside from standing, Juliana, we stand you for real here at Wiki Horror. Very much. You can follow us on all of our redes sociales at Wiki Horror on Instagram and Twitter. You can send us an email over at wikihorror at gmail.com. Uh, you can find every movie that we fucking post and do on our link tree, which is linktr.ee slash Thank you to Sonoro for being the water polo pool that holds all of our team. Uh, you can follow them and their redes sociales at Sonoro Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, guys, if I was a blood fuck monster, I would love to parasitically attach myself to the both of you. Consensually. Consensually. <laughs> Which you have my consent. <laughs> Thank you. Great. I fucking love you. Love you too. <laughs> Besitos. And we'll see you guys in la próxima semana. Adios. Adios. 
Uy, qué horror es una producción de Sonoro. Produced by Jonathan Atkinson and Eileen Clark. Edición y mezcla, Karina Riverol. Escuche Uy, qué horror en cualquier plataforma donde escuchen podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Adiós. Adiós.